Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. In this week's podcast, we're proud to have legendary drummer and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member Artemis Pyle of the Southern rock band Leonard Skinner and Artemis Pyle Band. He's got a new movie out called Street Survivors that you can check out wherever you stream movies. It is an actual occurrence, his eyewitness events of the plane crash in 1977 that took down Leonard Skinner, killing six people, including Ronnie Van Zant, Steve, and Chrissy Gaines, two pilots, and injured several crew members. Uh, we discuss his movie, we discuss his life and legacy, what he's got going on during quarantine, and a bunch of other awesome stuff. Uh, as a drummer talking to a legendary drummer, it was a thrill. He is a great, fantastic person to speak with. He uh, provided a lot of knowledge that I was glad to hear and learn about, and I really enjoyed to speaking with Mr. Pyle. So all that's coming up next, uh, an entire one-hour-plus interview. So I hope you enjoy it on the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Talk about it. recently. I, I had the opportunity uh, to watch uh, the Street Survivors movie. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. The guy that played you, I, I think he should get an Oscar. He he just he went through the ringer. He really, I thought he did a great portrayal. Um, can we just talk about how that came to came to be? Sure. Yeah, Ian. His name is Ian Schultz, and um, they really worked him hard because the physical. Um, you know, a role of what he had to do running through, you know, after the plane crash and uh, unloading, you know, when I unloaded my drums and carried them four blocks, four different um, trips to the Alex Cooley's electric ballroom on Peachtree in Atlanta. Of course, you know, the movie is accurate and um, they worked Ian really hard. I met his mother and father at the uh, red carpet event in Los Angeles just before the COVID hit. Uh -huh. And uh, we did a, a showing at a film festival. And so far, all of the feedback is, well, most of the feedback is um, that, you know, thanks for telling the story. And, and of course, there's the haters um, that are going to say, this isn't right, that isn't right. But the fact is, um, and this is a fact. Anything in the movie that isn't exactly right, and for instance, the airplane that we used in the movie, that's the only kind of aircraft that we could afford, a, a 560 Convair, um, which is what we crashed, the 540 Convair that we crashed, um, you know, that, that thing was, uh, it's very expensive uh, to put one of those into a movie at this point. Uh -huh. So we used a C-117, and the reason um, that we had to go with a different airplane, I, I think they're great-looking planes, and they've got a real nice cabin and uh, cockpit area, you know, and, and it's twin-engine. And uh, I used to fly in them all the time in the Marine Corps. So I'm familiar with the plane. They're, they're C-117s. What we called them in the Marines was Goonie Birds. And um, so we used the Goonie Bird in the in the movie. We couldn't afford uh, the the plane that we crashed, 
and that is the reason for that is Judy Van Zant. Um, Judy Judy Van Zant spent two million dollars or more trying to stop the movie. Wow! When I when I asked her and Gary to come to the table and let's make a really you know broader movie, I was forced to tell the story from my perspective because had I said anything out of my relationship with Ronnie. Uh, I would have been sued again um, because Judy lied to everybody in the family, um, all of the estates. Uh, she's a liar, and that's the way she rolls. She's divide and conquer, manipulate, pay people off, buy people, buy friendship, um, and buy attorneys, blood-sucking weasel attorneys, and that's what she does. So in spite of her worst efforts, and they're always awful, they're always nasty, and despite of it, we won in the Court of Appeals, and we were able to uh, finish the movie. But, you know, um, we had to make kind of the movie focused from my point of view, and I wanted to make a broader, a broader film. But I'm really proud of Cleopatra Films, and that is Brian Pereira, the CEO, <clears throat> and second in charge, Tim Yasui, and our director, Jared Cohn. He, uh, you know, he and all of the young men and women that portrayed us in the movie, since you can, since you've seen it, I can say this, you know, they put their hearts and souls into these portrayals and, uh, they didn't care about Judy Van Zandt's frivolous lawsuit. Um, they, they just knew that this was a movie about something that really happened and they wanted to put their best performances on screen. And I think that they did, um, you know, everything wasn't exactly perfect, but, you know, in, in my opinion, I'm not making any excuses. I'm very proud of the entire effort. The movie soundtrack written by my son, Marshall, my son, Chris, my band, APB, friends of mine up in Nashville, uh, friends of mine all over North Carolina. We, put, we came together and made an original score, an original soundtrack. Um, that rocks. I think it should get a Grammy. And I, I appreciate you saying that Ian should get some kind of recognition because he really, you know, he really put a lot into that role. And it was, so I, I do appreciate you saying that, Josh. And, you know, um, I wish Judy and Gary and Vector Management would have made a different decision, but they've always tried to diminish my role in the band ever since I left because of their massive gluttonous cocaine problem. And that goes from, from Judy to Gary to everybody in the band up to that point. Um, you know, they, they had a gluttonous cocaine problem. They made very bad decisions. And I, I would like to remind everybody, I was in the real Leonard Skinner with Ronnie Van Zandt at lead vocals. And I didn't want to be a part of something less. And And Johnny, you know, uh, bless his little heart. He has no stage presence. He can't write a song, and he's lost his voice due to all-night cocaine sessions, chain-smoking cigarettes, and drinking beer, and saying, "What a good boy am I?" So I have no, I have no, you know, um, remorse for leaving the band when I did because, you know, I was in the real Skinner, and this was becoming less and less Skinner every day. And now, you know, the band that Gary takes out there, it's basically a clown act. Whereas my band, APB, 
These guys are 55. I just turned 72. I still play like I'm 32. These guys grew up with the music. They're successful businessmen. They love the music, and they play it with accuracy, respect, and honor. And we play Leonard Skinner's music better than any band on this planet. So, you know, um, I have a lot of things to be so happy about. I'm worried about America. I'm worried about, uh, you know, the the COVID-19 for everybody, all these incredible people that we're losing. Um, You know, I I wish we had some kind of leadership, but we don't. And uh, everybody's kind of on their own, all of the mayors and governors and county commissioners and all these people, they're basically, they've got no guidelines. They're on their own. Everybody is, you know, pitching in the best way they can. I'm very proud of America, you know, for, for doing as the, the, under these circumstances um, the, the best we can. But there's a lot of idiots out there, and uh, they're putting us all in jeopardy. And uh, But, you know, the movie is incredible. Uh of the people understand that it tells the story. Um, We got a very good review from Variety uh, in L.A. And, you know, man, Variety doesn't like anybody. You know, it's it's like pulling, right, Josh? It's it's like pulling teeth to get a good review. And they gave us a very fair fair review, you know. Um, And I, I was very happy with the review they gave us. And we were number one on Amazon for a week or two, maybe uh, more. Um, we're still up there in the top five, I believe. Um, the Cleopatra is selling out of product and having to, you know, retool and put out, you know, there's been some mistakes made, but, you know, um, to me, everybody that worked on this, from all the people, that, the key grips, um uh, the drivers, of course, the actors, the director, and the and the producers, they stepped up when a lot of people would have backed down. You know, because Judy Van Zandt, uh, she'll come at you with thousand dollar an hour blood sucking weasel attorneys, and they'll they'll these are people out of New York City that would sue they would sue their mothers. Oh wow! So, you know. Um, we we were lucky lucky to get it done. I'm incredibly proud of the soundtrack, and um, you know it's it, it it was very hard. It was a very hard fought um, process. I never knew how realized how hard it was to do a movie, much less having somebody like Judy who wants all the control, all the money, and all the power, and she's done absolutely nothing to get any money. You know so. Yeah. Um it's it's an odd world that we live in, but good God, you know. Yeah. All you can do is is do the best you can. And we did the very best we can and the very best we could to make this movie because and and one I'll I'll just say one last thought in my diatribe here. Um Leonard Skinner fans are not getting any younger. And I thought it was time that they understood what we went through that fateful day and that fateful night. So I tried to compress a story and show a live gig, show kind of how I got into the band, show, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of different, you know, things, and then 
go right to the plane crash because that's what the story is about. Uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, I at this point, you know, I I only have one regret in my whole life. Um, because you know, as they say up north, it is what it is. And my uh-huh. one regret is that I was an unfaithful husband to my first wife, who was an un- unbelievably great person. We're still friends to this day uh, because of the grace of her character. Um, you know, I still get to talk to her, and, we, you know, we have two sons together. But I was a dog. I was an asshole. I was a piece of shit. Oh, man. You know, yeah. uh, by being on the road and, you know, and meeting, you know, these these girls, uh, I mean, every single night, the, the prettiest girls in the world were coming at you from all sides. And a lot of times I was strong, but I don't care if you're unfaithful once, six times, or 60. If you're unfaithful, you're unfaithful. There's no taking that back. And um, I, I wish I would have been um, a faithful husband. That would have been so cool for me. And Patricia, she's portrayed in the movie, by the way. You, you remember Patricia in the yeah, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, um, there's just, there's no way to go back in time, of course. Uh, but I would have loved to have been the husband that was married 50, 60 years and always remained faithful. And, uh, and, and for men and women that are married that do have those track records that they've stuck it out and they've fought it out and they've forgiven each other and they've compromised and they'd be, you know, they're married and, and that's a big commitment to those people. To me, um, that's one of the coolest things in the world is to be uh, a, a faithful married couple. And uh, my hat is, is off to all those people, although I wasn't one of them. Um, you know, I held out as long as I could, but I, I was on the road for eight months, and I'm not making excuses. Uh-huh. But, you know, I fell off the wagon of being, you know, a good husband. And uh, so uh, I, I know I'm a piece of shit, and I'll live with it. Well, you know, and you know, and not that I'm condoning it, but, you know, first of all, uh, thanks for being so honest in the movie uh, is one thing I enjoyed. But. Um, you know, a lot of people call Leonard Skinner, your era of Leonard Skinner, as the greatest Southern rock band. But, and I'm not just saying this because I'm from the South. At that point in time, you guys were the greatest rock band, period. So I couldn't imagine, <laughs> you know, all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, and you actually showed it, you know, and didn't sugarcoat it. Uh, but, um, you know, kudos to you for doing that, uh, you know, in, in this movie. I mean, it just, it added to it, but you didn't hold anything back. And that's what fans, like, I'm 37. But, uh, you know, like my mother, one of the biggest things we bond over musically is that uh, you guys are her favorite rock group, and it just it covered it all. And I really appreciate it because, you know, I can learn and then, uh, you know, uh, pass it on to generations that come, like my daughter who, who loves it, and, you know, just keep it going because it's timeless music. It is timeless, man. What was good then is good now. It's just like Led Zeppelin. Yep. You know, was Led Zeppelin good in those days? You You better believe it. And is Led Zeppelin good now? Yeah, hadn't lost a thing. And every song that Ronnie wrote was a hit song. He didn't write B-filler material. Um, every He wrote hit albums, not just hit songs. Yeah. And and 
I appreciate what you say about the fact that for a little while there, and you're totally right, <clears throat> we were like right up there with the number one rock bands in the world. And I'm talking about, um, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones. They're definitely a rock band. But but Leonard Skinner is the greatest southern rock band of all time. Yeah. And I'll I'll explain that a little bit. I do not consider the Allman Brothers in that category. <clears throat> the Allman Brothers are in a a class all their own. And and they stand out at very much. They were southern rock, they were southern jazz, they were southern funk, they were southern blues. They you know, they they were they were everything. But when it comes to pure southern rock, Ronnie Van Zant was the number one guy. He's he he wrote the songs that stick with everybody. I mean, we recently in the last couple of years opened up for Charlie Daniels in front of like thirty five thousand people, you know, and uh-huh. the crowd came forward on us when we did our set, fist bumped and sang every word to every song. And my <laughs> last my my last uh um contact, you know, Charlie and I smoked big fat doobies, man, all over America. Uh he'd open up for us. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we could have, we should have opened up for him. But, you know, uh, Charlie opened up for us all over America. We would spend many a mile on the road smoking big fat doobies. And, <laughs> uh, you know, um, in, in, the, in years past, because of Charlie's handlers, the people that are close to Charlie that were protecting their paycheck and didn't want anybody to get close to Charlie, you know, a lot of times they're ass kissers and brown nosers, and you know Charlie and I didn't see each other very much. But a couple of years ago, we had two gigs together, and I was tearing down my drums after our show. And there's forty thousand people in front of us, and I'm on this gigantic stage, and I'm packing up my drums and tearing them down. And Charlie comes over and he says, "Artemis, your band is incredible, and you're playing great." And that was my last. Um, contact with Charlie and it made me feel so good and I've got that forever I've got that in my heart forever from Big Charlie with one of his Big Charlie hugs and a, and a compliment on the band and my playing and and that meant so much to me and you know when we lost Charlie uh, you know last month I I wanted to go to his funeral but I didn't want to go there and be treated with disrespect sure. and be and be shuffled and pushed around by you know his handlers uh that that used to be friends of mine and you know when when we were you know on the road with Charlie they were like you know his road manager and one of his office people they were all about Artemis Pyle and Leonard Skinner boy they were up my ass but mm-hmm. you know uh after the plane crash and Ronnie was killed i i realized that all those people were the the, the southern rock myth um isn't completely true and and all they were all they cared about was money and power. Yeah. So I didn't go to Charlie's funeral. But how many people can say that if it wasn't for Charlie Daniels and Ronnie Van Zant, they wouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And that's something that I never dreamed of. And I am a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame drummer with my band, Leonard Skinner. We were inducted in 2006 with Black Sabbath. Blondie, the Sex Pistols, and Miles Davis. 
How cool is that? <laughs> and I'm a I'm a jazz freak, so I I got to meet Herbie Hancock and hang out with him. But yeah. you know, how many people can say that? And I, I can say that because of Charlie's faith in me, and because Ronnie's faith in me. You know, I I've got something that can't be taken away from me, and that's the fact that I'm in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And when my wife came up, I'm I'm divorced now, but when my wife came up and told me that she just got an email that, that you know, we were being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the first thing out of my mouth was, thank you, Ronnie, and then tears, you know, lots of tears. Sure. And uh, so I, I, I wanted, you know, Ronnie would have wanted me to do this. Um, I spent more time with him than anybody in his family, including his wife, in the last few years of his life. I had a different relationship with Ronnie Van Zant than the rest of the band members or anybody because we were the same age. He couldn't whip my ass, and <laughs> he, he had a certain respect for me, you know, as a Marine sergeant and somebody that does, didn't lie to him. You know, if Ronnie came up to a lot of people in the band after a show and said, how did we sound, everybody was all about, oh, man, we were great. But when Ronnie asked me in private, Artemis, how did we play tonight? I would tell him. You know, I would say, basically, uh, we didn't suck too bad. Uh, but this and that and the tempos are crazy. And, you know, it's hard, you know, when the other members of the band are counting off songs and they're doing it three times as fast because, man, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, man, there was – all kinds of drugs and pills and speed and uppers and downers and over there's and, and gorilla biscuits and cocaine and alcohol. It, it was being the drummer of a band during that time when you've got seven people on stage and every one of them is fucked up on something different. You oh, know, wow. yeah, it's, it's hard to, to pull back the reins, you know, and, and me, I'm a pot guy. I, I'm, I am a dyed-in-the-wool, left-wing, uh, liberal hippie, pot-smoking <laughs> hippie. And, you know, to me, pot has never been a, a problem. All that other stuff is a problem. The uppers, the downers, the coke, the speed, the, the crack, the, all that stuff. That stuff is horrible, and, it, and I've seen it ruin people's lives. But, you know, I'd be all mellowed out, you know, playing my drums and having a big old time, you know, and uh, and the band – who who the hell knows what they were on, you know? Yeah. Because every night, you know, it could be from Scotch and Jack Daniels to uh, Black Beauties to some cocaine to some to some this to some that, and and just think about it. Everybody in the band is kind of on their own plane, their own level, and I'm the drummer trying to keep everything in time. And so Ronnie and I spent a lot of time very close together, even on those gigantic stages that we played, all the stadiums, because Ronnie knew that if he and I had eye contact and we could feel each other, I was at the bottom of the pyramid, he was at the top of the pyramid, and, you know, if he was together with me and I was together with him, everything in between would somehow work. Yeah. And and it did, and the people loved the band. You know, I I, I observed very much that people loved the band, even when the guys had had a bit too much to drink. You know, that was just the way it was. And I, I don't fault anybody for anything. I really don't. That's just the way it was. 
I'm not, you know, holding myself out as like an angel because I only smoke weed. Uh, I can't handle alcohol. You know, I am a cheap date, man. I am a cheap drunk. <laughs> you know, if you, if you go out with me, two glasses of wine, two beers, or a couple of shots, I'm done. And uh, all I want to do is go back, get in front of the TV, watch Andy Griffith, you know, yeah, and and smoke a big fat doobie. So, um, it, the, the, in those days, I, I I feel like that Ronnie was just so on top of it, man. He had found Steve Gaines, and he was so happy. You know, we lost Ed King, and and Ronnie was looking for somebody to write with. I mean, heavy writing, and and, and everything. And Steve Gaines was the guy. And Ronnie left a real big legacy. Steve Gaines didn't have time to leave as much of a legacy. But I can tell you right now that he would have been as big as anybody. Steve Gaines would have been as big as Billy Joel or Ronnie or anybody in the world because he was an amazing person. But he just, he was killed and didn't have time to develop that. But, you know, he he does have quite a legacy and um so when it comes to the the allman brothers i love those guys i was friends with all of them um and still i'm fr- uh, i'm friends with dickie betts and um and jamo and i love those guys and they they were um they were unique but as far as you start talking about the southern rock bands even including Charlie Daniels and Marshall Tucker and and Molly Hatchett that came along later because of Ronnie's direction and uh, Wet Willie and, you know, a lot of the the bigger southern rock bands that came out. I don't think anybody would dispute that Ronnie was number one because of his prolific songwriting. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, even his stage presence while all you guys were playing and, doing your own thing, he was standing and delivering. That's just because he didn't have to do anything else. That voice just said it all. And, and it did. And and I love that about Ronnie. I've been in some bands since I got out of the Marine Corps. You know, I've been in several, well, shoot, a dozen bands. And some of the bands I, you know, I was just jamming with just to get to play, you know, the, the lead singer would hoochie-coo around and had all these little moves. And, you know, if a guy's got good moves, then go for it. You know, but a lot of the moves look very contrived, you know, like like the guy from the Black Crows, Chris Robinson, you know, uh, he had some disparaging things to say about Skinner one time. And I told him, man, you know, uh, he came up to me one time in Nashville and he said, hey, did Gary hear what I said in that interview? I hope he's not mad at me. And I said, well, he may not be, but his wife will kick your ass. And, uh, you know, and he, he, he was like. And, you know, he's got all those little moves, and he, he got them from Mick Jagger, you know? Yeah. And it's like like uh, David Lee Roth from Van Halen, you know, tell me he didn't steal moves from uh, uh, Jim Dandy Mag- Magrum, you know, Jim Dandy from uh, Black Oak, Arkansas. Yeah. You know, Jim Dandy was doing all that stuff, man, and had that look like years before David Lee Roth picked up on that. And uh, that same energy on stage, and the kick, the high kicks, and the, and all that stuff. So, you know, um, Black Oak, Arkansas was right up there with all of the, the other southern rock bands, and uh, 
Mose Jones out of Atlanta and Eric Quincy Tate out of Atlanta and the Atlanta rhythm section. My God, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time. I loved every one of those guys. We did many shows together. And um, I was in a band with Robert Nix on drums. We played double drums. Oh, wow. And uh, let me tell you the band. We were out of Nashville. It was called Deep South. And it was George McCorkle from Marshall Tucker on rhythm guitar, Ed King on lead guitar, with Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special, you know, another great southern rock band that Ronnie uh, groomed. Um, And we had Jimmy Hall on lead vocals. And, you know, me from Leonard Skinner on drums and Robert Nix from the Atlanta Rhythm Section. And my God, man, we, we had everybody in that band were like, like Grammy award winning songwriters, except me. You know, I've never, I've never said I'm a songwriter. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, everybody in the band deep south and we were really, you know, on the up and coming. Um, we were about to be, you know, like a, the next super group out of Nashville. Nice. Um, but, be, you know, in every band, there's always one guy or maybe two uh, that destroy it for everybody, you know. And in, in Deep South, there was like three guys that, that, that destroyed it for everybody. Where it could have been so good, you know, it, it turned out to be, you know, um, a lot of effort and time uh, spent um, on a, on something that was just going to fail in the end. And a lot of people in Nashville were fighting against Deep South because you know how Nashville is, man. They got all that crap coming out of there. You know, they, they call country music. My God, it's it's nothing more than, you know, these dudes that look good in their blue jeans grabbing their crotch and acting like a rapper and singing these deedle deedle dee deedle deedle do you know, formula songs that are all all sound exactly the same. Yeah. You know, there's 20 different artists in Nashville, and, and it's all you know, and it's the same formulamatic crap, you know. And then, of course, there's, there's you know, Chris Stapleton and cats like that, man. There's some really great stuff that comes out there. Allison Krauss and Union Station. You know, and Vince Gill and all those guys. Those those are the real deals. And you know, and of course Charlie was uh, amongst them. Charlie was the real deal. Yeah. And and um, you know, he he worked right up until I mean, he he was gigging right up until he had that uh, that stroke that took his life last month. And uh, or uh, you know, um, yeah. It it's just. And I love Charlie so much, and so many people did, but. Um, you know, Nashville, I wrote a song about it on one of my albums uh, called Artemis Venomous, and it's just me being pissed off about lawyers, and and uh-huh. uh, and I wrote a song called Million Dollar Firm, and it's about that Nashville clique. There's about 10 songwriters that write everything, and then they get in some young artist, and they'll have them sing one of their hit songs and make it a big hit because you know, they're always, you know, if if you're 22 years old. Yeah. Grooming to take your place. You know, they're, they're going to, like, use you for everything you've got 
They're going to tell you you're the best. They're going to pat you on the back because they're making money on you, you know. And uh, and and then they'll they'll get in a new crop, and you'll be passed on into the the pasture, you know. There's a whole lot of uh, bands like that, and and single artists that. Good God! Just a few years ago, they were like, "Yeah, man, we're real happy about our new tour," and you know, now they're in a Winnebago playing at the Exit Inn and, and on Vanderbilt. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's like Nashville will suck the life and the blood right out of you, and there's a bunch of fat cats that are making the money. So, you know, it, <laughs> you you got to be smart. I'm not saying I am. All my money's been stolen because I'm an idiot. And I, I trusted people, you know, uh, the organization of C.D. Van Zant and Leonard Skinner. They they've stolen fifteen or so million dollars from me, yeah, and, and, pre- and, and and prevented me from earning a living. They they have stepped on me and stolen from me, and they know that I don't like attorneys and can't sue them, and everybody's afraid of them. But Josh, I'll tell you, I'm here to tell you right now, man. I'm not about the money. Sure, I'd like to. I have you know, I'd like to have a new car. You know, I drive an old van, I drive an old Jeep, and I drive an old motorcycle, you know, and I drive an old tractor. And and I, I'm glad to have that stuff, you know. But, but you know, the money that, if I, that, that I would have earned, I would have built a family home for my family. I would have sent my children to, to, to art school in Paris. I would have had a couple of airplanes. You know, I, everybody would have had decent cars to drive. You know, instead, we just – we get by. But I realized something about myself very much that I'm about the music, and I'll always be about the music. Sure, I'd like to get my money back. Sure, I'd like to get paid, you know, for for what I do. Uh, but I'm not going to overcharge anybody. I'm going to be fair, you know. I don't put myself up on any pedestal, you know. If I am, I, I got there because of people like Ronnie Van Zant and Charlie Daniels, yeah, you know, and and Toy Caldwell. And Tommy Caldwell from the Marshall Tucker Band, and my great friend that's one of the best drummers in the world. I think he's in the top five. His name is Paul Riddle, and he's the drummer for Marshall Tucker. And he lives down in Greenville and gives lessons. And he is a super, super human being. It always believed in me. I always believed in him. You know, and so I've got a few friends in this business that I can really say that that are true friends. And um, I went on that cruise that we do for the Native American Heritage Association. And um, Willie was on there. And Jimmy Hall, I think, I could I say this, I said this to him, he thought I was bullshitting. Um, I think Jimmy Hall is the number one rock and roll singer uh, on this planet at this time. This This guy still has his voice. He still sings. It's like going to church to hear Jimmy Hall. And his sister, Donna, who is one of the most beautiful women that ever was born, and Jack Jack Hall, Jimmy Hall, and Donna Hall, they all still work together, the whole Hall family, and they sound better than ever, you know. And, um, and they do a lot of good with their music. They raise money for charities like, like my band does. We do stuff for... You know, our main charity is the uh, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, uh, Danny Thomas, and that that's our main charity. But we do stuff for veterans, 
homeless, cancer, you know, whoever needs a, a, somebody that burnt out of their house, you know, their house burnt down or something. And we, we do stuff for people all the time, and so does Jimmy and his sister Donna. And uh, like their song says, they keep on smiling. And um, and I, I love them. I, I think if you've got the musical talent that you were given and that you've developed, you should use pay the bills. But you know, doing stuff for the veterans and people that need it, need attention—that's uh, what makes it worthwhile, don't you think so? I, no, I agree, and and uh, I think that's exactly what. Uh, if everybody had that same mentality you do, I, I really think that, you know the world would truly be a better place. We're gonna get there, Josh. Um, my my vision of the world is not a burnt-out cinder after a nuclear holocaust like Terminator. I, my, my vision of the world is an entire planet planted in fruits and vegetables, cleaning up our water, making the air pure, feeding children, taking care of the elderly, stopping the damn wars, the useless, ridiculous wars. And I, I, I feel that someday planet Earth, you know, people will learn to get along. I love everybody. I, I love African Americans. I love Chinese Americans. I love the Chinese, the Japanese. I love Native Americans. I love gay people. Um, I love uh, I love Latinos. It it makes the world go round, man. I've been all over this planet, and to see how people uh, do their homes and raise their children and fix their food and 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 uh, take care of the land, it, it's an amazing thing to see. And I, I have faith in mankind. I have faith in in human beings although you know there's there's some really bad people out there and and sooner or later you know i i think the good people are going to win that's just the way i feel yeah i i agree i think eventually the good will will totally surface um it says it in the bible it says that you know i lived in jerusalem israel in the castle of king david and studied old testament for three years Wow. At the Diaspora Yeshiva. Uh, they call it the Diaspora Yeshiva on on um, Mount Zion in uh, Jerusalem, Israel. And, um, you know, I, I I met people from all over the world and it um, some good people. I, I, it, it gave me it gave me hope. And uh, in all of the, in the Torah and the Koran and the Bible. It basically says that good should conquer evil, and you know, I, I think I think it will someday. And you just gotta fight the good fight, don't you think? No, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. You said you were covering some things, and I wanted to tell you, uh, you know, while you're saying all that, is that um, you know you're talking about uh, credit, you know, other people bringing out your drumming, but um, you've always been one of the greatest drummers of all time, in my opinion. To this day. Uh, to me, I know a little is the most intricate and greatest drum tracks ever laid in the history of music. Oh, Josh, man, thank you so much, man. And I'll just point out the fact that I know a little is kind of like boogie. It's it's like an up tempo shuffle boogie, and because of uh, you know I came from the big band era. My father listened to like Tommy Dorsey and Jimmy Dorsey and and Harry James. And all of the big band area era during the forties and and uh that would have like you know uh, six trumpets and six trombones and six saxophones and 
you know, the, uh, the, the big band. And I played I Know a Little kind of channeling like Gene Krupa and some of those older drummers that from, from that age, I kind of channeled that boogie beat. And, you know, that was, that song was written by Steve Gaines. And, uh, there's, there's very few guitar players that can play that intro. And, uh, my guitar player, Scott Rain, can play it to the, uh, Ed King to play it. And I know one other guy, his name's Walter Kowicki down in Florida when I lived in St. Augustine. Walter Kowicki could play I Know a Little Perfectly. And so that's, I, I think I've mentioned four guys. And, you know, of course, Steve, of course, uh, Ed King, who would, you know, drove himself crazy learning that part. Uh, my guitar player, Scott Rains, and then Walter. So I've heard four guys that can actually nail that, that part. And it's not easy. And I love playing that song. I love that song. You know, I, at this point, I love playing all of them. But I know a little um, that smells Saturday Night Special. You got that right. You know, uh, train song. Those are some of my favorite songs to play because they're difficult to execute. They're not easy drum parts. And um, I'm very proud of those. I, and I appreciate you pointing that out, man. That was that. well. It's just uh, it's timeless and and um, that Steve Gaines, you know, uh, and and Ronnie sang like um, that song. Uh, you got that right. That was a duet. That was one of the baddest, most fierce duets of all time. And and um, when when my time comes, you won't find me in an old folks' home. You know. Yeah. You you got that right. You show got that right. And uh, I'll just I'll just tell you a quick moment when it was incredible for me, back when they digitally remastered the entire catalog of Leonard Skinner. Um, you know they went back and I, I wasn't really happy with the way that my drums sounded on some of the albums because it was kind of thin. But when they went back and digitally remastered our, our whole catalog, the first time I heard it was on a radio in my van going down the road and it came on a radio station in Florida and they said, we we just got the new digitally remastered um, mixes of all the Skinner stuff. And they started playing it. And man, Josh, it sounded so good coming over the radio. I got goosebumps and I had tears um, <laughs> be, because it sounded so good. And there was this one song called train song. And it was a live version of it, and I, it was a bonus track on on the the uh, DVD that came out digitally remastered. And I I swear to God, Ronnie and I were so spot on tight. Of course, the entire band, and that's what we were known. You know, Leonard Skinner was known for being, you know, squeaky tight, and we were because we 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 practiced and rehearsed so much. But when I heard that song on the radio, man. It just made me think so much that Ronnie and I had that moment in time where he believed in me and and we made the connection and I gave him what he needed from me as a drummer. I gave him everything I had. I left nothing on the stage. And um, so, you know, I, I think about Ronnie all the time, man. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, what, the, the reason I brought that song and I didn't mean to, make make everything emotional but um 
when I started playing drums, really cutting my teeth and getting really good at it, I was about 13. And my dad, like you were, you were talking about the guitar lick on it, he said, I've never found a drummer that could play I Know a Little. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, play music alongside my dad. And I just, uh, I, I, you know, I tried, and I still haven't mastered that song. I never will. But, you know, there for a while, I could at least hold my own on it just for a little bit. Well, Josh, don't feel bad, man. I, I, I play all of the Skinner songs different every time I play them. I, I, you know, if I feel like putting in a lick that wasn't there, as long as I can get away with it, if I feel like, you know, keeping something real simple, like if we're doing Call Me the Breeze, I, yeah. I almost, what I do is I just focus myself into keeping just a beat and not trying to be a drum soloist through it, because that song's all about the vocals. And so, you know, every song, I, I kind of adapt a little bit every time I play them. And that way I, I keep them interesting to myself. Because if you, if you get bored and you're playing these songs and you get bored uh, because you're, you're playing it exactly like the record, you're going to get bored. And you're, you're not going to have the joy, you know, the joy of performing like you should have. Uh, I, I'm enjoying playing now more than I ever have in my life. And I'm I, I'm not saying this in a bragging way, but I'm playing better now than I've ever played in my life. I have more stick control. I, I my my rig my drums are state of the art, heavy metal. Uh my I just got a new cymbal endorsement. I have a full array of incredible rides and crashes and chinas and, and splashes. And uh, it's a company called Samsung out of Samsung, Turkey. And these these symbols, not only do they sound great, they're beautiful. They look like work, works of art. And um, I, I got an endorsement. So I use exclusively Samsung. Look them up. It's spelled uh, S-A-M-S-U-N. And it's a little town uh, in Turkey. And in that same town, they make a lot of minor stuff for the minor symbols. Yeah, um, yeah. They they make some of the I think the Byzance, uh, the Byzance series for for minor, which are really good symbols. They're out of Germany, but they're made right there down the street from my factory in Samsung, Turkey. And uh, I use Gretsch. I have a set of Gretsch '57 Chevys. In other words, uh, on each one of my drums that, that which are Motor City Blue. There's a white triangle with a chrome strip, uh, which is the representation of the fin on a 57 Chevy. How cool. <laughs> and they're beautiful. They sound good. They're fast. Yeah, I, I, The way I've got them set up with my double ba- bass drum pedal and, and my cymbal array and, and, and everything is solid as a rock, it's like driving a Maserati, man. It's like getting in a Maserati and, and taking it around the track one time. They're They're incredible. So uh, what kind of drums do you play? Uh, you know what? Right now, unfortunately, I have been so ingrained in working and raising two daughters. I, I haven't been behind a kid, I bet, since um, like the Nashville NAM two years ago, and that's so regrettable to say, but I, I'm itching to get back into it because it, it, it's always a part of my heart and soul. Right now, just beating on a steering wheel, unfortunately. <laughs> well, what, I mean, did you, do you have any drums in storage or anything? Uh, in in my room, I have a djembe. Uh, uh, okay, so here's what you do. 
Yeah. And you, you, you need to do this. This will help you raise your two daughters. You, you get yourself a single bass drum, a single tom-tom, high tom, a, yep. single, a single floor tom, one hi-hat, a ride cymbal, and a crash cymbal. It, I, I like to call it a hot rod kit. Yeah. And you get and one snare, one of everything, and you put yourself a little hot rod kit, and you set those things up somewhere so you can sit down and beat your brains out. And, and believe me, when you're upset, when you have stress, and, you know, especially in this world today, and, and you're suffering from, you know, tension and stress of being a, a, a father and, and, and working hard and everything, you deserve 10, 20 minutes a day to sit down on those drums and bang on them. And, you know, every drum has a face. Every cymbal has a name. If you're mad at somebody... You know, that, that's your high tom-tom. If you're mad at John, you know, or Jane or anybody, you, you, you take your aggressions out on those drums, and then you'll – it's like therapy. And then you'll feel better, and you'll, you, know, you, you'll, you won't be as tense. And, uh, and, and a drummer, man, a drummer must drum. A drummer yeah. must drum. And you, surely you've got a little space someplace. You know that you can set up a little tiny hot rocket and uh, and start playing again. I, I insist. If, yeah. if I if if I had a little hot rocket to give you, I'd give it to you right now. Wow. But there, you, you know, for for less than a hundred bucks, you can probably find exactly what you need to just be able to keep a beat. You know, and and on all my hot rod kits, when I put together, like my oldest son Chris, all my children play drums. All eight of my children and grandchildren, they all have kits. And what my son does, he likes a small kit. Yeah. So he uses one bass drum, one tom, one floor, one snare. But he he puts a double bass drum pedal on his bass drum so he can get all that cool stuff that you can do, you know, with, with a double pedal. And uh, so uh, I talk to you, Josh. I want you to describe and send me a picture, send me a text. Of your drums. You yeah. Hear me? Yes, sir. <laughs> you better believe it. you've got me wanting to hunt some down now. And, and, and it's funny you brought that up because I, I think about it more and more every day. And I've actually been looking at little sets like you described. Uh, Gretz has got a little Catalina set that's kind of like that, a little small, you know, set up and get after it. I, I might be purchasing one of them real soon. Yeah, they do. They make little, um, a lot of people call them cock- cocktail sets. Yeah, uh, but I um, Quest Love that, that plays on the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. that, that drummer Quest, he's always got killer drums, and he designed a little. I think they're Ludwig, and it's like a little tiny set. Doesn't take up very much room, and everything. But you know, you can sit down on a. On a I, I would suggest getting a professional seat. You know, don't don't get one of those little flimsy seats. You know, for made for kids, but get you a good strong throne, and and get you a little kit. You could probably find, you know, there's someone in, in somebody's attic, in somebody's garage, or underneath somebody's bed or in their closet is a drum set, a little kit that is waiting for you to find. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be happy when you find them, and you will be happy when you find them. I guarantee it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You got me You got me wanting to search right now. As a matter of fact, I wrote down Questlove's name as you said that. Um, and your and your daughters and your daughters will love it. 
And and the thing, how old are your daughters? Um, I got one that's about to be sixteen uh, here in a couple of weeks, and actually the the other one is is grown now. She's twenty. Okay, well, shoot, man, they'll 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 dig it so much that dad, you know, is is following his dream. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so so yeah, do do that, Josh. Get you get you a little hot rod kit, man, and and uh, I would suggest it for every man, woman, and child on the uh, planet. Because no matter what instruments you play, whether it's clarinet or guitar or tuba or oboe or trombone, you know, you have to learn time. Yep. It, no, it's the greatest relief ever. I, I did it really hot and heavy while I was a young fellow and then uh, became a dad early. And just, uh, it was about, I guess, about five years ago when I kind of just stopped. But, you know, it's always been in my soul. You never forget. And like I said, now, my outlet is podcasting, and I've been lucky enough to, you know, speak with some of my heroes like yourself, and and just learn things I wouldn't have known hadn't we got to speak. And you know, I appreciate the time. Uh, I did want to tell you this though um, about that movie. Uh, you know, and you were discussing it is that it moved me so much that um, I actually took a uh, impromptu uh, road trip and went all the way from Columbia to Gillsburg to go pay my respects and see the the monument, you know, I I always knew uh, that there was a site, but didn't know that they had that monument. It just, it moved me so much. I just had to be in its presence. Well, thank you for doing that. Uh, I've seen pictures of it. I haven't been there yet myself. Uh, I was invited to go down there for the dedication of the monument. Uh There there was a couple of people that were going to be there that I didn't want to see, and I didn't want to ruin a celebration you know, by punching somebody in their face. So <laughs> I I decided not to go and not be there, but I will. I'll, I'll have my tour bus pull over one one night after midnight on I fifty I fifty five in Mississippi, and I will go spend some quiet time at that monument. They did a beautiful job on it. Um, it's it's really really nice. The pictures that I've seen, a lot of granite and marble and and a lot of work. And a lot of people donated, and um, I, I, you know, there's a lady that lives close that goes and puts roses uh, out there all the time. And so, you know, it it really, it it makes me feel good that there's a an actual site, and it's not just, you know, out in the woods where you can still find pieces of the airplane buried in the uh, underbrush. Yeah, that is so wild. Um, yeah, the the lady you had mentioned, she had actually just laid some fresh flowers there, which was really nice. That was and, Teresa. Uh, well, she, I, I didn't get to see her, but the the flowers were fresh. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah, and then um, yeah, I I didn't I wouldn't formally introduce. I was there by myself, and a groundskeeper had just left. But what they did, and I really like it to keep it respectful and nobody, uh, you know, destroyed or anything. They actually have little cameras set up, which I think is perfect. Um, you have a little area to where you can write your name and where you're from in a donation box, and they have chairs to sit. I mean, and they have uh, what I really thought was very neat. Whoever thought this up, six steps to get to the top, which represents the six people that lost their lives. That's exactly right. And you notice in the movie, there's a song that we commissioned for the movie. A good friend of mine wrote a beautiful piece when you hear the soundtrack. Uh, it's called Six Souls. Six Souls. Yeah, um, S O U L S, and uh, and so yeah, the six steps. That's for everybody that 
that died in the crash, and uh, I, I had heard about that. But well, you you um, you call me anytime, Josh, and um, and and keep in touch with me. You've got my number. Text me. Um, I don't I don't have a secretary or a wife or a girlfriend or anything. You know, I'm I'm just uh, I wash my own clothes and I I keep I keep a tight ship and uh, and everything. But you know, stay in touch with me. Text me and uh, text me a picture of your drums when you find a little hot rod kit. And remember, I, I, you know, all the licks that I have, I got from other drummers. And I, I always say it this way that I stole, I stole licks from every drummer there has ever been. And, <laughs> but, but what I mean is, I admired their style and I admired the way they did something. So I tried to emulate it. And um, you know, anywhere from uh, the older drummers all the way through to John Bonham and Keith Moon, uh, I got to meet Keith Moon from the Who. Um, you know, I've met some of the greatest drummers, um, and and been able to you know to hang out with with guys, and a lot of a lot of the really great drummers that are with us today uh, are friends of mine. I'm I'm a jazz freak, so I love Weather Report, and I'm in touch with Bobby Thomas Jr. down in Florida. He was the percussion drummer for Weather Report with Joseph Salinal for years, and um, he's he's amazing. And he gives, you know, he gives lessons. And, of course, Paul Riddle from the Marshall Tucker Band. I could go on and on. But from each one of those drummers, my point is that I picked up something that they did and I incorporated it into what I do. And, you know, and, and there's some things that because of my – I've had three airplane crashes and car wrecks and motorcycle wrecks. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. And, and it's like so my body isn't 100%. But I work around my injuries. And there's some things that I can't do. My right leg is stainless steel from the knee down. Wow. And, I, and I lost two inches. Every time I hit a bass drum lick with my right leg, I'm actually pulling my entire leg up in the air with my my thigh muscle. I have my, my ankle is fused on my right leg. And so I'm not using my ankle to get that that spring on my bass drum pedal. I'm actually pulling my leg up for each beat on the drum with my thigh muscle and my upper leg because my calf and my ankle is, is basically useless. Now, you know, when I walk out on stage, nobody can tell that I'm limping because I have a buildup in my right boot and everything, but it's very painful. And But when I'm on my drums, I push all the pain and everything away, and I concentrate on those songs, and I think about my friends, I think about Ronnie and Steve and Cassie and Dean and uh, and you know everybody that we've we've lost so far you know Alan and Billy and Leon and so and not to mention JoJo Billingsley our backup singer and um, you know I I love and miss all these people and I think about them when I'm playing and I mean sometimes I get emotional in the middle of a song I don't even know it's coming. All of a sudden, I'll be thinking about, you know, a gig when we did that song at that moment, that exact note, you know, and it'll just, uh, it'll trigger something in me where I'm thinking about something that causes me to be emotional. And I just, I, I just sweat through the tears, you know. And um, so, you know, get get a lick from every drummer you see and, 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 and realize that, 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 the, as good as I've gotten, it's because I play drums every day since I was born. 
And this is the way it went when I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. The doctor reached down and pulled me out, and he slapped me on my bottom, and and I went two, three, four, <laughs> and that was it, man. You know, yeah. I'm a natural drummer. That was the downbeat when he slapped me on the bottom. You know, and I went wah. That was it. Was slap two, three, four. You know, <laughs> and and I then I rode uh, horses. And the gallop of the horse's hooves underneath me, and I ride like a Native American. I don't use a saddle, just wow. a bridle, a bridle, and a blanket. And and you know, those rhythms set up underneath me. And I rode a horse before I walked. And then I ran bulldozers in my grandfather's road building company in Tennessee, over in Jamestown. I'm related to Alvin C. York. How you know? cool! And uh, our families from over there, the Valley of the Two, the Three Wolves. Jamestown, Tennessee, Fitters County, that's where I was raised. Wow. Riding horses and running bulldozers. Yeah, cool. And uh and so all those rhythms <clears throat> you know, there's there's a rhythm to life. There's a rhythm to your windshield wipers. You know, <laughs> there's all these rhythms that are set up and, and you pick up on it. So I think everybody's a drummer. Everybody snaps their fingers or taps their toes. And uh you know, what we do as drummers is just something we get good at it by doing it every day, but it's a very physical thing, and I, I love that. Hey, gosh, nobody knows how much fun us drummers have, man. That's it. You've got it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything you described, I understand 100%. <laughs> Even like you said, the, the bottom slap, I'm sitting here thinking about the snare. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, two more questions for you. Um you, you kind of laughed when I said Dave Anderson. Who is he in relation to you as far as, like, your uh, – is he in your band or something? No. No, he's um, he's a part of the um, of the uh, office. Yeah, and, and, you know, I don't have an office or anything, but APB, our, our lead guitar player, uh, Jerry Lida, who wrote an amazing song for the movie soundtrack called Street Survivor, uh-huh. And, you know, that was Scott Rains on vocals and Jerry and Scott on guitar harmonies. <clears throat> and I let five people help me with the drum part. I said, man, are, if you guys hear something that I can execute, let me know. And it, after 15 hours in the studio working on that song, the title track for the movie, man, uh, I, I, a couple of the road crew guys said, well, man, can you do this? And I said, let me try. And I did it, you know, and so – Five people, you know, uh, were responsible for my drum track, and I love it. I love playing it. It rocks. It's it. I channel John Bonham, uh, you know, and and it's it's such it's a southern rock hit song. It's the first southern rock hit song I've heard in years. To tell you the truth, I can't remember another one. And I'm not talking about his, you know, back to Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. But Jerry and Scott and Warren Haynes. Uh, were the three songwriters that wrote Street Survivor, and um, it's it plays at the end of the movie over the credits. And on the, when you get the CD where you can listen to the entire soundtrack, which is my sons Chris and Marshall, and my friends that we commissioned and and my band uh, Street uh, uh, APB. We wrote a Grammy winning winning soundtrack. I don't know with this COVID nineteen if we'll get passed over, you know, this year uh, for, for our category, an original film score on a movie about something that really happened. 
Um, we could, but I know in my heart that it's a Grammy Award-winning music. And I know that that song, Street Survivor, is a bona fide. We're getting airplay all over the country uh, for Street Survivor. And uh, it is a southern rock hit. It tells a story. It rocks. I love it. And, uh, you know, so uh, what was the question? Well, no, I, I, was, I, was, no, I was agreeing with you because in the movie, it seems like the only Leonard Skinner song was Call Me the Breeze. And, and that's really all you needed. All those other songs built in perfectly. Well, see, Call Me the Breeze is not a Leonard Skinner song. Really? Uh, that's the reason that we could have, that we could use it. If that would have been a Skinner song, then Judy Van Zant would have come at us with another frivolous lawsuit. Oh my gosh! Right? So, yeah. so I was glad that we could write a. a there's 50 movies that's got Leonard Skinner songs in it, and Judy even let Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken, sell some nasty little sandwich. And when they played Sweet Home Alabama for years, they they were playing that. She she'll, you know, she doesn't care about the music. All she cares about is money. But, uh, you know, but J.J. Kale wrote "Call Me the Breeze." Wow. Yeah, I, I just I've always associated it with Leonard Skinner. See, that's something else I learned. Um, and, well, see, J.J. Uh, <laughs> Kale uh, wrote "Call Me the Breeze," but Ronnie Van Zant made it famous. Yeah. And the band, and 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 of course the band, and I I I have to mention another drummer, you know, right now the great Bob Burns, you know that that played in the band before while I was still a sergeant in the Marine Corps, you know Bob um, played brilliantly on Pronounced, and he was in my band, you know the five of us plus Bob there were six of us two drummers, and he would come out and play shows with us, and he could he had some physical. Um, drawbacks he couldn't play two hours like i do but he would play three or four songs with us you know yeah one night, one night he played five so you know bob was a a, a great drummer and a, a beautiful cat man and i miss him and i love him but he was he was killed in a car wreck about uh three years ago mm. um uh, it's been it's been about four years now uh we lost bob and um and and we talked every night at four o'clock in the morning because we were both on the same. We were, he called it Leonard Skinner time, <laughs> and uh, he'd call me up at four in the morning. And we'd talk for an hour, and then we'd go to sleep. Um, but but Bob, um, my band was tickled to have the two real drummers of the real Leonard Skinner, both inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the same night. You know, yeah. as their drummers, it doesn't get any better than that. And Bob and I had that in common. We were both the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame drummers of Leonard Skinner, and Bob deserved it as much as anybody. And he was there that night. We were inducted with his two daughters, and Bob was so happy, and I was so proud of Bob. He played, he played Sweet Home Alabama, and I played Freebird. And I looked over at him during Sweet Home Alabama, Josh, and I, <clears throat> I just. <clears throat> Uh, tears came to my eyes, and I just thought about Bob being a, a that young 16-year-old that had Ronnie and Gary come over to their carport, you know, and and start the band. They started that band, and and Bob was as much a part of that band, uh, you know. If it hadn't been for Bob Burns and Ed King, I don't know if the success would have been quite as good because they had a lot to do. I mean, Ronnie would have been successful, but. They had a lot to do with the sound of Leonard Skinner and the success of the band, and they weren't treated well. Uh, the current um, 
uh, uh, management company. They're called Vector. I like to call them Rectum. Uh, <laughs> Rectum Management out of Nashville. You know, they treated Bob Burns and Ed, Ed King. Uh, never mind me. Of course, they're going to treat me with disrespect because they're 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 busy counting their their ill-gotten gains. But <clears throat> but Bob Burns and Ed King. They made a major difference in Leonard Skinner, and both of them were treated with no respect whatsoever. And now Ed and Bob are gone, and I will, I, sing, their, I will sing their praises. And that wraps up this week's Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. Special thanks to Artemis Pyle for taking his time to speak with me. Learned a lot about him and the legacy of Leonard Skinner. I've always been a fan of that phenomenal group, and it was really cool talking to their drummer. As I'm a drummer, I love learning and listening to the guys keep the downbeat, if you will. Uh, once again, uh, thank you so much, the listeners, for listening to this podcast. I do it weekly, and without you, there would be no point, and I'm truly grateful, and I appreciate you. If you know anybody that would be a great guest, have them hit me up, Josh Belcher at Hotmail. Dot com. We've got a lot of cool guests coming up here in weeks and weeks coming, and I hope uh, you enjoy listening to them because I surely enjoy making these podcasts. And you remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. I want you to have a fantastic week, better than average. Uh, I want you to know that uh, everything is going to get better, hopefully. I'm trying to keep optimistic, and uh, we'll catch you later down the line. This is Josh Belcher signing off on the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. All right, see you later. Take care.